Welcome to Flipping Real Estate Like the Pros. Here you'll learn everything you need to know to be a successful real estate entrepreneur and achieve the financial freedom you've always wanted. There's no BS, no fluff, there's zero guru talk, just real real estate flipping knowledge. Here's your host, Greg Simpson. What is up, Alliance? It's Greg Simpson here with another awesome episode of Flipping Real Estate Like the Pros, and I have another excellent guest for you on the podcast today. My guest today is Trevor Mock, and he's from Investor Carry. Trevor is also an investor himself, but Trevor has a very unique business and a very unique niche that is in the real estate game and the world that we get to play in every day. And he'll tell you a little bit about Carry and everything it can do for you as an investor. So Trevor, welcome to the show. Greg, man, I appreciate you coming on, and, and, and it's uh, it, it's been a long time coming, I know, man, so I appreciate you inviting me on here. So, Trevor, tell us a little bit about your personal life and fill in the gaps about Carrot as well. Yeah, man, so I, I, I live in a small town here in Oregon called Roseburg, uh, grew up here in Oregon, did the, did the big city stint for three, four years up in Portland, and we settled into this spot that we absolutely love, and there's a lot of mission built in here and what we're doing with our company and stuff, but... I uh, have three little kids, two, four, and six. So if any of you guys have, have young kids or you guys have had kids, we're in the trenches, but it's amazing. Um, and a beautiful wife named Carly. And then with Carrot, of course, uh, that's that's the main business focus anyway, our software company that helps real estate investors uh, grow their businesses, leveraging the web. But dude, my passion really is in amplifying leaders and like really finding ways that I can amplify people like you and people here locally to you know really make their bigger impact so we've got a lot of really cool entrepreneur stuff that we're doing here in roseburg including our entrepreneur group um we have big pub talks each month entrepreneur co-work space here called the loft all kinds of cool stuff man so life is good it's fun i like it i like it so tell us a little bit about how you got started in this game you said to me before you were a buy and hold investor how'd you get introduced to real estate in general yeah, man. So I kind of growing up, I guess I was, I was fortunate to where I got a little bit of a head start. You know, just being frank, um, uh, my my parents became entrepreneurs when I was probably nine, ten years old. So that kind of that 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 mindset had started to you know infiltrate me as as a as a young person. So I knew that you could go out there and do your own thing. But at the same time, while I say that, it's not something where it was easy for my parents. I remember they had to go create their own jobs because my dad got laid off from a company. Actually, not laid off. The company went out of business, and uh, he had to go out there and create his own job. My mom did the same thing. At the same time, they're like, "We need to make income, and we can't find good jobs out there, so we're going to create them." So that was probably the first thing, honestly, that got me locked into uh, that you can do something else. And then my great grandpa and my grandpa, uh, they owned a good amount of rental properties, and so I'd always be around my grandpa, you know, going to the rental properties and going and doing the normal fixed stuff. He he managed his own properties. So just kind of seeing what he was doing there, you know, walking to the properties, eating my ice cream with grandpa and talking with the tenants and, and things like that. So that kind of was, was the next step there. And then in college, I had a, an amazing professor who was an attorney. He was Ari DeGroote. I still remember him to this day. He was an attorney and a real estate investor and taught business law at Oregon Institute of Technology where I went to school here in Oregon. And he's a really charismatic guy. So that, I think that I definitely kind of got hooked in by his charisma. And I'm going, man, you know, he's an attorney and a real estate investor. He's like, oh, it sounds so amazing. I want to do that. And um, so I did one half of that. I uh, studied hard, got good grades, failed my LSAT test to get into law school twice, like completely bombed it. 
Um, yeah, so couldn't get into any law school that I applied to, which which was definitely a um, a good little ego check, and I'm really glad it happened because uh, uh, not not to uh, put down any of you who are in the legal field, but I could not imagine myself doing that today. And so I did set out to buy my first rental property though in college, and I picked up a fourplex uh, when I was 21 uh, with about 600 bucks in my bank account. And uh, I sold on that property uh, today, and it's still cash flows. So that's kind of what got my start in real estate anyway. $600? How'd you buy a house for $600? Dude, yeah, it was a four-unit apartment complex up by the college. So what, what, I, what I had done, man, is, is I think many people can relate to this, where you're studying and studying and studying, and, and you haven't jumped out and taken that action yet. And I was in the, I was in the school library for probably like a year, anytime... I had extra time on hopping the forums, and this kind of dates me a little bit because the big forums back then, I'm 34 now, but the big forums back then was like creeonline.com. And so I was in there researching ways I could invest in real estate, and pretty much everything that I was latching onto at that time was wholesaling. And then for me, I realized that wholesaling wasn't for me. I'd, I'd rather you know like real estate for the long term and work on something else for the day-to-day -day income. I'm like, man, so what's going to give me that and what type of seller, you know, what assets do I have as in, you know, in my brain, time, you know, money, things like that. I didn't really have any money, but I, I did realize that there are a lot of people who were, who were advancing in age who had had rental properties for many, many, many years who probably just wanted to get rid of them. They, they didn't want to have to deal with the tenants anymore and they, they uh, would rather just get the income. So pulled up a list at the county courthouse. Uh, they, they actually let us pull pretty detailed lists of properties and it was any, um, place with two units or above, you know, duplex or, or above up to a certain cap that the, the owner had owned it for at least 10 years. And, um, what I did was I sent letters to all those people and I got a few replies back. I uh, talked to, talked to some of them and I ended up finding this amazing seller who, uh, who was in retirement looking to sell the property. I probably saw himself and me a little bit and carried almost all the note except for 10 grand. I went and got a private loan from a family member for that 10 grand, brought in my 600 bucks for the closing costs. And that's about what it was. Well, that's definitely a way to be creative. Yeah. And, and kind of on that too, I mean, it's, it, it was a major mindset kind of thing for me where, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to this and whatever you do, it's not just real estate. It could be working out or whatever, but we all have these mindset blocks that hold us back, you know, that make us stop from taking action. And I know being young at that time was one of them. And I'm just like, man, you know, uh, when am I going to stop considering myself young? Cause I do it now, you know, and I'm 34. I'm like, I'm still young. So those are all those things in our head. And uh, that's one of the biggest things I had to, had to get over. And I think we still have to get over those things. What are those mental things that are completely fabricated in our own minds? that are holding us back from doing the things we actually want to do. So I just had to get creative. I'm like, well, I am young. That is an excuse. I'm going to get over it. What other excuses do I have? I don't have money. I've never done this before. I'm like, well, what's the worst that can happen? I just start talking to people and make offers and whatever happens, happens, you know? So I was lucky enough to, to lock that one down and I still own that property today. That's important, Alliance. Go back and listen, Trevor, about what he just said. I'm young too. I'm 33. And in this business and in my prior business in the pool business, uh, especially when I was really young, when I just started out in the pool business, I was 21 years old. And when you walk into a person's house and obviously there's a huge age gap difference, uh, you have to learn very quickly that you have to learn how to sell yourself as the expert 
And again, like you said, it doesn't matter what field you're in. It could be real estate. Uh, it was the pool service for me. Uh, I had to win them over and sell them that I knew how to take care of their pool or that I'm able to buy their house faster than anybody else because naturally I became a salesperson in my businesses. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Trevor, tell us what investor care is and how it can help us. Man, so we just kind of, kind of given brief, brief history. So it'll add some context. So after I bought that property, moved to Portland and, and uh, started a marketing consulting company and just really had no clue what I was doing, but I learned how to do marketing really, really well starting with offline marketing for some mortgage brokerage companies right at the wrong time uh, in 2007. And um, so when that kind of went, went kaput, uh, I, I kept on really diving into learning marketing. And one thing that um, a client that I'd taken on came up and asked me, they said, hey, you know, uh, they pulled up a thing in Google and they said, you know, this right here, my competitors here, how do I get there? You know, in a, in a, in a Google search result. And this would have been 2007, 2008. I'm like, you know what? Honestly, I don't know. And they, and they said, can you get me there? I said, well, I'll figure it out. Yeah, I, I, can, I can make it happen. And I knew nothing about SEO, nothing about how to convert a visitor into a lead, nothing about how to actually get your website in front of your, your prospects. But over that next you know, five, six, seven, eight years leading up to you know, today, that's kind of been what my main business has been is, is online marketing and helping uh, companies really cut through that clutter and grow their business leveraging the web. And uh, so we launched Carrot at the uh, start of 2014, end of 2013, because we were just getting a lot of real estate investors that I knew asking us saying, hey, you know, can you guys help us um, with a website that actually performs online? Because most real estate investors, they, they might have a website, but it's just thrown up there. You know, it's not really focused on any, on the, on, on any particular thing. They just kind of felt, man, uh, you need a website, so I'm just going to get a website up the freest and cheapest way I can do it. And what we found over the years is that performance, you know, the way the website's built um, you know, to perform is a massive, massive difference in you actually getting results out of that website or not. And it's the same thing with all of your marketing. You know, if you're doing direct mail, it's what's written on that piece of paper, on that postcard. It's the messaging. It's the way it was delivered. It was the strategy and how you got the list that makes it perform. It's not the simple act of writing words on a postcard and mailing it, right? It's got to it's got to be set up to perform. So that's what we focused on over the past three years, and um, you know, because we focus on performance with our clients, both from the SEO side of things. By no means am I ever going to say SEO is easy. By no means am I ever going to say that that we automate SEO for our clients. But the way that we built our system, our website, from the code base up, our training and our support structure, um, we have more clients who rank really, really high, like top five rankings for motivated house sellers uh, in all across the U.S. In pretty much any city, you can Google, sell my house fast, you know, insert city or whatever phrases like that. You'll find several care customers on page one because of that support structure and the technology code base. Um, so that's what we do, man. We help uh, you know, thousands of real estate investors generate hundreds of thousands of leads every single year through the web. And we do it by helping you guys be more uh, more effective and having higher performing web web presences and marketings, marketing strategies. Absolutely. And guys and gals, I want to remind you that I only bring on people that I have personally vetted or I currently use their product or service. And I've been a Carrot member since I launched 1-800-OUT-FAST because I didn't want to build a website from scratch. I don't know jack about SEO. So I literally joined a month or two after I launched 1-800-OUT-FAST. Quickly, 1-800-OUT-FAST.com started ranking and ranking. I did exactly what Trevor and his team told me to do. 
uh, to start building my SEO, to start building pages and writing in a specific way. I do rank at the top of Google, uh, I believe on three different searches here in the Tampa Bay area. We sell houses Tampa Bay, we buy houses Tampa Bay, sell my house fast and, some, and a couple other ones as well. I'm literally one or two on the organic searches about every time you search for those terms. And with some of the tips and stuff that I learned from Trevor and his team, I've actually on one of those keywords, on one of those keywords, I can't remember which, exactly which one, not only ranked on the first page, number one, but I'm also ranked number one on the map listing. Sweet. Sweet, yeah, dude. So, yeah, so my website converts very well thanks to Investor Carriot. And dude, I want to toss a couple things out for people as well because, because you know, the, the, the intention of this, um, man, I, I, I love educating. I, I love uh, extracting out of my brain and helping people learn from that. And and this isn't a carrot sales pitch by any means because you guys can do the same thing with, you know, let's say WordPress if you set it up right. Uh, the, the thing that we focus on is making it so if you don't want to do any of that stuff, if you don't want to have to be the expert how to actually code up a website that's going to convert well on mobile, on desktop, and, and, and do the things that Google wants to see on the code base, if you don't want to have to come up with a strategy yourself, if you don't want to have to spend 100, about 100 hours going, you know, trying to sift through bigger pockets to find SEO. So if we kind of package it all together, so it just saves you time and money. Um, and, and SEO's work, dude. So you didn't turn something. This is one thing I want people to realize. Search engine optimization is highly, highly, highly effective. You know, it's, it's ways I've built several businesses myself. There's, it's the number one lead source for our clients, you know, out of the tens of thousands of leads that come through each month, each month, uh, search engine optimization, ranking your website high is the number one lead source. Uh, Facebook, is definitely climbing up there with some things we've been doing, but it took work. Like you didn't just turn it on and it, it started ranking, right, Greg? Not at all. I had to do a lot of tweaking, especially for my market. As we start licensing the brand across the country, I'm going to have to sit down with you and Adrian at some point with the other guys and figure out how I'm going to start ranking across the country. We did a lot of work and I'll give a tip for what I did on my carrot site. I went ahead and recorded about 10 to 15 YouTube videos. I uploaded them to the site, but what I did that helped with my SEO. I went and paid someone on Fiverr.com, I think $5 literally, to transcribe each one of those videos and basically create a blog post for each one of those videos. It was basically a frequently asked question um, as we get as real estate investors every time we walk into a house. Just by doing that one thing, I went from being at the top of page two, somewhere in the middle of page two, to the bottom of page one overnight, mm -hmm. Trevor. Um, and now I'm first in organic searches. Dude, I, I love it. And, and so that strategy right there, man, it works so well. And I could, I could go down a rabbit hole in this whole conversation, <laughs> make this like a two-hour call. But so everyone that, that just heard that, so one, uh, first of all, take mental note on it. Take note on where, where it is in this podcast and go back and listen to what Greg said. Because one of the biggest hurdles that we find from people who, who dive in and want to do online marketing, I mean, there's, there's a couple. First of all, how do we get people to my website? Right, because um, you don't just want to have a website up there and be paying money to have it developed or paying money to, you know, on your monthly fee if it's something like here or whatever, unless it's performing for you. And there's a few different ways. Number one, your website should rank for your company name at the at the least, because if you're doing direct mail and you're doing all those kinds of things, you can better believe that people are searching your company name, probably putting the word review or reviews after it. You know, so one eight hundred outfast reviews or something like that. People are looking for that. So make sure that your website is ranking well for your company name with the word reviews and for your phone number. That's one way to get people to your website and make your offline marketing have a higher ROI. The second thing is, if you've got money, 
the quickest and most predictable way at the start is to do some sort of paid traffic. You know, it's Google pay-per-click still works really, really well today with a well-honed campaign. Um, if you've tried pay-per-click in the past, uh, the likelihood is there was probably a campaign or a website issue. Is either driving to a website that wasn't set up to perform well and or your, your Google AdWords campaign wasn't set up correctly. If you had Google, if you like had Google set up your AdWords campaign, please turn it off right now because it's probably not doing what it should do. We've seen that over and over again. Been there, Google, done that. Yeah, where Google sets it up and they know how to set it up, but you got you to remember, Google's in the business to make money. So if you have the company that is making that money that you're going to be paying them through your ads, set up the ad stuff, they're probably going to be doing it in a way to where it benefits them. Or maybe they're not being, you know, maybe they're not even thinking about that. They just don't know the industry. Okay, they don't know the industry. So it's really hard for Google or a generic AdWords um, consultant to set up an AdWords campaign for real estate investors uh, specifically correct. So then the third part is on the SEO side of it. So for SEO, it takes work like Greg mentioned. It's a longer term thing. You know, it wasn't something in two months that Greg had those rankings. It took work. It took implementing a plan. It took coming in. You know, when, when you're implementing a plan and you're not sure if you did it right, you've got to have someone to go to and ask those questions. That's who we are for our clients. I like Greg. But then how do you ramp up your SEO? You've got to do it with content. You know, there has to be some sort of words that end up getting put on your website. And Greg, one of the best ways that we found, just like you found there, to eliminate those two biggest hurdles of content marketing of what do I write about and I don't have the time is exactly what you did. Sit there and write, get a piece of paper out, write down the main questions your main and your best prospects ask you. You know, how do you come up with your offers? Um, there's probably you know, there's probably a series of 10 to 20 questions that you'll get pretty consistently or that they won't ask you, but you know are going through their mind. And sit down if you're comfortable in front of video, just like Craig, record a good video. Make sure you have good lighting. It doesn't have to be a professional big camera setup. It could be on your iPhone. As long as you have good lighting, it's, it's in a background that looks good and credible. Don't use like a green screen ideally, but if you can make that look good, sweet, like make it white back there. Don't, don't make it look like a fake office. I've seen those ones before. And then like Greg said, submit it to get it transcribed. And uh, we use a service called rev.com. It's about a buck a minute. It's the most accurate uh, transcription service that we've used over the years. You get it back crazy, crazy quick. And then take that video, like Greg mentioned, put the video at the top of your page optimize it for a keyword phrase or maybe even that question they're asking and then put the transcription below it, but just spend 10 minutes uh, updating that transcription. So it looks like an article. And uh, we do that all the time, dude, and it works great. And like you experienced, you pumped out a piece of content in 10 minutes or less, had a transcription come over, spend another five or 10 minutes editing it to make it look like an article. And uh, you're set. You didn't agonize for two hours trying to write an article. Absolutely. And if you guys want to check mine out, go to 1-800-OUTFAST.COM and go to Frequently Asked tab. Uh, you'll see all those questions and you'll get an idea of what my questions are that I answered. And I don't care if you mimic them, just don't copy them word for word, everybody. But use that to your advantage in your own market. I love it. I love it. All right, Trevor, what's the one thing you know now with Investor Care that you wish you knew when you first got started? Oh boy, uh, dude, a couple things. So I'll, I'll throw something out there that's directly related to the online lead gen side. And then, dude, I, I, I'm such a student of and I'm very, very passionate about leadership. You know, like, like I mentioned uh, right before you and I hopped on the call. And uh, the second one will be about actually growing a business and scaling it. So, um, dude, the first thing on the online marketing side is I think I really vastly underpredicted the importance of mobile 
when we first started Carrot several years back. So what I mean by that is, you know, when we were first creating our, our, our initial websites for our companies and for other investors back, and this is way back in 2012 before Carrot was even in existence, um, and then 2013, we so focus on the desktop experience. So what people would see when they're looking on their computer, right? And what we have found over the years, now this is not something that's anything new. It's not groundbreaking. People listen to the call and goes, yeah, it's obvious. But for whatever reason, back in 2012, 2013, it wasn't as obvious to me at that point. It became very obvious, obvious toward the end of 2014, 15 for sure, 16 it ramped up. Today we're seeing it's just crazy. But well over, over 50%, some months uh, over 60% when you include phone call leads uh, uh, of the leads are coming through cell phones. Okay, so what it means is coming through a mobile device. So what, what I would have done years ago if we would have known that it would have been that high um, is we would have really focused on the mobile experience probably a year to two years sooner. And we doubled down that effort you know, about two years ago, the start of 2015. We're like, man, mobile isn't the future. Mobile is like the today. Okay, so everyone out there, no matter what you're doing with your online marketing, especially if you're, you're using Facebook for your online marketing, look at your website on your cell phone is as much, if not more, than you look at your website on your desktop computer because that's the way that your prospects are looking at, at your website. And if there's anything weird about it, if your call to action areas aren't high up on the page where they need to be, big buttons, uh, things like that, um, you need to focus on that. So that's something I w- wish we w- would have focused on earlier. Dude, the second thing is on actually growing a business. Uh, this is kind of a two-part answer. I, re- I really discounted uh, the value of... of of continually becoming a better leader. And uh, yeah, I think probably three or four years ago, there were no leadership books that were on, that were on my list of books I wanted to read that year. Uh, people would give me re- leadership books. I'm like, I'm already a decent leader. I'm an entrepreneur. You know, we're doing some cool things. Like I, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a leader. And what I found is the main books I've been reading myself the past year and a half have been all leadership books. You know, how, how do you um, rally people, amazing people around a cause and connect them all toward that cause and create a common goal, a common product, a common whatever it is to help other people and move something forward together. And I can tell you one big misconception I had years ago when we first started Carrots, I'm like, I really don't want a lot of employees. Maybe a couple is what I thought, because in my mind, uh, hearing horror stories from other people is that employees equal pain in the butt. And, uh, now, when you look at it the other way, I'm like, man, I want as many employees that make sense for our company, whether it's 50 or 15. You know, we're at 10 full-time now and another handful uh, part-time people. We're going to be adding two more people anytime now. And I'm going, man, employees, if you do it right and focus on culture and you focus on how, you, how, you, how can you help them have amazing lives, pay them well, and focus on building a business that's fun and meaningful, dude, Team members are amazing. So that's one of the biggest things I, I wish I would have known before so I could start prepping myself to be a better leader sooner on. I'll have to agree, man. Some of the best books I've been reading on, are on leadership too. I've been reading The 48 Laws of Power, which is all about how to get your message across through powerful ways. But the other one I got for Christmas actually was a book uh, by Buck's defensive coordinator, uh, Mike Smith. You win in the locker room first, the seven C's to building a team in business, sports, and in life. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you just sent me the uh, John Maxwell book. Dude, that, yeah, that, that book right there is one I've been going through the last several months. And uh, it's not a very big book, but 
the reason I've been doing that, it's called, it's called developing the leader within. Uh, simple read. It's broken down in a very, very makes sense order. It will hit you if you're in the point in life where you need to become a better leader and add structure to it. But my leadership coach that I hired about six months ago, we've been going through that every week. And then me and my leadership team here at Carrot, we uh, review a chapter a week with that book. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's been game changing for us. Like not just cool, cool leadership stuff. It's like, if you actually read it and review it with the people that you're going to be working with and building leadership together, <laughs> dude, it's an amazing, amazing book. It's on the list, man. It, it, it's like so many other books, you know, everyone has read. And now that I've been doing this podcast for a bit, pretty much everyone I've interviewed is a book guy. Yep. And it's really hard right now. Uh, I have two businesses to run uh, between the real estate brokers and one hundred out fast. I have a podcasting. I have TV Rhea. It's hard to find time to read all these books, but I'm chomping at the chance to get to read books <laughs> because I love books and I love audible books, uh, especially because I'm on the road a lot looking at all these houses. I think it's a very important part of our everyday, every week uh, makeup as an entrepreneur because we always need to be growing, always need to be learning. And I don't use, didn't used to be a book person until I got into real estate. I was never a big reader. And then I got turned on to uh, real estate by Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then the rest is history. My goal a year is to read 52, one a week. I'm quite a bit behind so far, but I'll pick it up. Dude, and it, it, it's, it, it's, it's a big deal. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. It, it's, it's a big deal because, um, man, it really hit me just within the past couple of years, and especially in the past probably year when a really good friend of mine, he actually works out of my offices here uh, in my office building, uh, named Seth, and I did a podcast with him. And uh, Seth is an amazing entrepreneur. He's had some amazing successes that if people look at what he's done in his life, people will be going, oh my gosh, just selling that first company, you know, for 18 million bucks when he's 27 would have been like it for most people. And then he completely you know, went on the least happy years of his life for three, four, five years after that with all this money, driving the Porsche, all these things. He didn't have his mindset right. And then he vowed to, to when, if he ever had a chance to do it again, because he lost almost all of his money. Um, to then do it right and really make sure he, he was grateful and all this stuff. And long story short, he built another company. They did $60 million in revenue their last year before he sold it this, this past year. And he wrote a book. And I'm like, so he wrote a book on how he went through all these experiences that we are going through right now. You know, I mean, maybe not the selling for $18 million or you know, multiple tens of millions, but all the things you go through as an entrepreneur, as a human being, the mental struggles we have, the... I mean, all this stuff. So he wrote the book and you look at that and go, man, so this guy, and this is just one example, this guy had lived this experience over you know, a decade and a half to two decades of his life. And he distilled it all down into something where I can digest the most important lessons that he had learned into his life, a life up to that point, into a book that's going to take me a couple hours to read. I'm going, man, that's such, like, where else can you get that? Where else can you get that type of knowledge and that, and that mental download? of the best practices for, from some of the, the most successful people in the world, whoever you're, whoever, whatever you deem as success, find their books, download that knowledge into your brain that took them decades to learn. And uh, it's such an amazing resource that most people don't use. I'm going to ask probably the hardest question on the entire episode here. What book are you currently reading and what is your all time favorite book? It doesn't have to be real estate or entrepreneur related. So what's your favorite book you're reading right now? Good question. So I'm in between books. So we we finished up developing leader within. I went and reread all my notes in it about two weeks ago just to digest. And I, if you look at my books, man, I'm like a massive dog ear guy. 
like I dog ear pages and make underlines. So what I do after I finish a book that hit me, I then go through all my notes again, just kind of digest them mentally. So that's what I just finished up doing. But the book we're starting next week um, is another leadership book. I'm reading it with my leadership coach, and we're really rolling out a lot of things with our company here to develop amazing leaders. So this one is um, Leading Change, and we're going to be starting that. The funny thing is I read it in college, and it was like the most boring book in the world because <laughs> – Dude, I didn't, I wasn't leading change on anything. So you're like, you're just reading it so you can write this darn paper for it. It doesn't hit you at your core. And I've heard this quote many, many times that oftentimes timing is, is, is the thing that makes the big difference in your life on how you're going to, you know, accept the message. And books are so much that way. This book now is perfect timing. So I'm really looking forward to, to diving into leading change next week. A uh, favorite book, man. That one's kind of hard. Um, it is hard. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you a couple though, so for for different reasons, dude. I I, I really love parables and uh, you know like Richest Man in Babylon, um, The Go Giver. Those are amazing books that are kind of just parables on life. I just really love The Go Giver because if I would have read The Go Giver in college, I think it would have really changed my mind mentally way sooner than it, than I did. Because right after college, man, it was like all me, me, me. Like what what am I gonna get? You know. I'm selling a marketing consulting contract and I'm trying to sell it like, what, you know, where's mine? And then as soon as I stopped making, I wasn't making any money doing it the way I was doing it right out of college. So I'm like, let me just help people. You know, let me just switch it to how can I just give and let me just help people because I'm not making money anyway. So I might as well just help people and still not make money. And, um, and that's what happened and things turned around for me. So I wish I would have read that book years, years earlier. But the one that I think has probably meant the most to me success wise, and it's going to be one that most people haven't heard of is called the pumpkin plan. And uh, if you're a carrot customer, your likelihood of hearing about the pumpkin plan is probably magnitudes higher than the average person. I talk about it. I talk about it all the time, but the pumpkin plans by a guy named Mike McCallowitz, a really good author. And uh, it just hit me at, at the right time in life. I think, you know, where I was just way too busy, way too spread out, way too spread thin and many, many things trying to do 42 things amazingly. And they all were very mediocre or terrible. And a pumpkin plan helps you in a very simple way, pare down your life, the important things that give you the most out of it. So that one hit me pretty big. And I still use the pumpkin plan every single quarter today. Awesome. So guys, that will all be in the show notes on, and on the website, uh, flipping real estate, like the pros under Trevor's page or Trevor's episode, I should say. So Trevor, obviously you're just like every other entrepreneur and have gone through some rough patches in your business. Tell us about one of those times and what did you do to get yourself out of that rough? That that question is an awesome question because I'll well, shoot Seth kind of going back to that discussion we had about my friend and mentor Seth. I just ate breakfast with him this morning, and and one thing he he oftentimes says to me is is people usually look toward your successes as the ways that you're going to learn the most, but oftentimes your failures are your best teachers. And um, for me, I can definitely say that my failures in life have been my my best teachers. Going all the way back to that story I told you earlier about the first real failure that I had in my life which, um, you know, once again, I've been very blessed in my life. So don't, don't make it sound like, you know, this was a big event in my life. I know other people are going through way worse than I ever have, but, um, you know, failing that LSAT test, not getting to law school, like that taught me a lot. That taught me a lot, man. In, uh, at that point in my life. And then now it was about 2011, uh, to the, the first half of 2012, or probably some of the most unhappy years of my life um, from the inside, from the outside, no one could tell, dude. Like, no one could tell I was going through this. I didn't even tell my wife at that time. You know, we talked about it years later. 
from the outside in, I think people thought that I was just living life, you know, and I was, I was just very ungrateful for it was the problem. But, um, during, during that phase, I had a great business. We were making good money. We had, we had good products. Um, the business wasn't really hitting me at my core that there was like a, a reason and mission that actually mattered in the world more than just, you know, our little bubble of that business, our own bank accounts and our clients, you know, helping them. And so I was just waking up every day just around the time that we had our first child too. So you start to think about a lot of stuff, a lot of change happens. And I was waking up every day and not sure if people can relate to this, but making a good six figure income, but hating it. I didn't want to get out of bed. You know, I was like, literally I'd wake up and I would lay there until nine, 10 o'clock, 1030 in the morning, uh, just because I didn't want to get, get up and like do the work that I had created for myself. And it's the weirdest feeling. And I hope people don't go through this. I hope you just completely skip this part of entrepreneurship, but it's the weirdest feeling because you work your butt off to have that quote unquote freedom, leave the job or leave whatever it was that you felt was holding you back or holding you down. And you had the chance to craft this position, to craft this job that would help you do that. It would help you give you more freedom and give you more meaning and purpose in life. And I had crafted a job that, that really fast was something I despised. And it was work that I, I was good at, but I wasn't loving. Like it really sat, it, it zapped my energy, it zapped all of my creative energy, my physical energy by the time I got one done with the day. And so I actually started seeing opportunity everywhere. And I started putting money in all kinds of different places, different businesses. I'd invest in this tech company, this software company. We started some businesses. I started doing consulting again. And I had so many things going on that I think I was looking back now, I think I was trying to guide myself away from that thing that I was despising during the day. And once again, that business dude was like a great business. We had great customers, a great team. Everything about it should have been amazing. It was my mindset on that. I just wasn't loving the work that I was doing and I didn't feel mission for it. So long story short, I'll wrap it up. But I went through about an 18 month massive mindset shift. And if we have time, we can talk about some of those mindset shifts I had to make. Um, but uh massive mindset shift that guided me through this decently dark period in my life out the other end where I read the pumpkin plan and some other things that completely trimmed 90% of everything off of, off of my life, sold my business, um, exited these, uh, these other investments that I had, even if it, even if it lost money just to regain time and uh, mind space. And I just started fresh, man. So that was the biggest thing I, I had to completely like burn the ships as they would say with everything that I had been doing up to that point, except for family, faith, and my future. And um, it, it was a big change, but I'm glad, we, glad I made it. That's phenomenal, Trevor. You know, and, and that's what I've said before. We've all gone through rough patches. I have days, weeks where I want to do the same. I wanted to just lay in bed and pretend that I didn't have this stuff to do. Even though you know you have to, it's all a mindset shift. Let's spend a couple minutes here on mindset shifts. Give us a couple of them, three or four of them uh, that you've had to go through. Yeah, so the, the the biggest thing, man, is I didn't really have much urgency in life at that point. Um, you know, at, at that point, I was you know late twenties, but it really doesn't matter what your age is. If you're mid forties, mid fifties, what doesn't matter. I think we all kind of internally, mentally feel younger than probably our age shows. And um, I didn't have any urgency, so I, I just felt that there's always going to be this time in the future to do whatever it was I wanted to do. And, um, and those big goals or those big things like, well, I'm not going to do the uncomfortable thing now because I could just maybe do that next year. You know, the uncomfortable thing as in cutting ties with that business that was, that I felt was holding me down. 
Um, so how, how do I find my, my mortality? And, uh, at, and I guess how do I find my urgency? First of all, I had to recognize my mortality. It's kind of a morbid, morbid topic here, but um, there's a couple different ways I, I, I did that uh, unintentionally. First of all, I had a friend, uh, one of my brother's best friends, but I was really close to him growing up as well. Uh, he passed away, and he was 34 years old, my age than I am right now. He had three kids. I have three kids right now. And he was in his backyard like the day that him and his wife were literally talking, like dreaming about retirement someday. Hey, it'd be so amazing if we can do this and we can do this. And they were talking about that stuff that day. And uh, he was out there gardening, you know, thinking about the future, thinking about 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years out. And uh, he didn't know it, but he didn't have, he didn't show up to dinner that night. You know, it's like, as soon as I saw that, I started to see myself in that. And at that time I had one child and, and uh, one on the way in 2012. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, you know, there's no guarantee I'm going to be here in 10 years. Let's just like quit messing around with all this crap that I'm not enjoying in life. You know, if, if this business isn't making me happy, let's start when it, it does. Let's like be crazy intentional with it, but I'm not, I'm going to create five non-negotiables. That was the next thing I, I had to say, okay, what non-negotiables am I going to have in my life now? Things that no matter what I do, I'm going to run all my business decisions by these five non-negotiables. And if, if it doesn't match them, all five, I'm not going to do it, even if it's going to pay me a ton of money. And um, uh, those five non-negotiables are still something that I run uh, with today. And uh, just some of them, you know, create a consistent, predictable income stream. Uh, my business before was kind of boom and bust. So you can't really be stress-free and loving it if you're on a boom and bust income model. Okay, So I, I'm like, I'm going to create a business that has a consistent, predictable income stream. Another thing was fun, dude. We had fun in the other business, but it wasn't intentional fun. Like I wanted the business to be fun. I wanted like every part of what we did to be fun. That's why here at Carrot, we're all about branding in the orange and people can't see it, but you're wearing one of our bright orange carrot t-shirts behind the scenes. We have our, we have a full line of carrot dolls that we sent out to people. We call them carrot buds. We've got super carrot. Yeah, super carrot, normal carrot and farmer carrot. We just came out with agent carrot. And I'm like, we, we want to have fun in the business. Um, and there are a few other ones. So come up with whatever your non-negotiables are. And one of those non-negotiables, dude, and this is a biggie for me, was that the business had to have mission that hit me at my core. That like where I found everything that I did in life somehow fed into this like subconsciously where I didn't have to try. I just got excited about it. And that for me, once again, is really amplifying leaders. How do we amplify people like you, like the listeners here to go out there and make a bigger impact in the world, to regain more of their time? more of that precious time uh, for the things that matter in life. And that's what fires me up, dude. So uh, the last mindset shift that I really, really had to go through was, uh, man, I watched this, this video on YouTube during that phase of my life. And, uh, and this guy was a general, um, uh, you know, five-star general, whatever. I can't remember the guy's name, but he did a commencement address at a college. And I watched this thing, and he talked about the little things, doing the little things right. And at that time, dude, growing up, I remember I had a messy bedroom all the time, you know, um, bless her heart. My mom wasn't the cleanest gal in the world. She's not dirty, but she just wasn't like a stickler on us cleaning up our bedrooms all the time and stuff. She'd kind of do it for us sometimes, completely enabling this really, really bad behavior. Um, yeah. And so, so, dude, so what happened was my wife was always really clean and tidy. So I got married and I'd, I'd almost like mentally give myself permission to have my spaces that were in disarray. You know, my, my truck, my closet, my dresser drawers, you know, my little pile over here by the bed. It's like, hey, just kind of let me have my 
my space because this is the way that I am. I, uh, I'm just, I grew up this way, right? It's, it's ingrained into me that I'm not the most organized and tidy. And um, I watched this video and this guy was, was talking about when he showed up to a boot camp, you know, the, those first several weeks and how they joined the military so they could go to war. I mean, that's at least for him. He's like, I joined the military so I could go fight and defend my country. And if that meant going to war, that's what I wanted to do. And uh, those first several weeks or months, I've never been through boot camp, but um, uh, you, you, they're teaching all these things that you might not have the connection in your brain on why it matters. Yeah, how to fold your clothes exactly this exact way. You've got to have it just so by this exact time. If not, there's there's consequences. You've got to have your, your bunk and bed folded this exact way by this exact time, and there's no varying in the process, and if not, there's consequences. And there's all these different things that they do, they do in the military. And he said that they were all complaining about it and going, man, this is, I didn't come to the military to learn how to fold my clothes or make my bed. And he said, once he got to, once he got to battle and he was there and there's life and death, death consequences that popped in his brain. He goes, that's it. He goes, that is why we did the little things because I would not want to be in the foxhole next to someone who did not take care of the little things in their life that morning because those little things are things that drag you down mentally throughout the day and we don't even know it. So when it comes to a life and death thing, those little things literally could mean your life. And so I took that and I'm like, oh my gosh, all these little things I'm completely jacking up in my life because I think they're not important. All I'm doing is thinking about all this big stuff. Like these things are completely crushing all the big stuff in, in a bad way. And one day, weeks later, I opened up my, my shirt drawer and I pulled it open. I'm not sure if you guys can relate to this, but I pulled it open. It's like it was a it was a mess. And it always had been a mess. I'd make it once every six months, you know, pull all the clothes because I couldn't find anything. And then it'd be a mess in two weeks. And I'd like go sifting through the stuff. My closet was the same way. And one day I just looked at it. I'm like, this isn't the best that I can do. Like this is not the best that I can do. And um I folded all the clothes, print shirts on the right or on the left, plain shirts on the right. Uh, to this day, my shirt drawer is still that way. Uh, weeks after that, I opened up my closet. I'm like, man, this is brutal. This is not the best that I can do. Pulled everything out, got rid of half my clothes. My closet's been tidy ever since. And I've been knocking down those little things over the years. And those freed my mind up to accept and think about those big things. Um, and there's so many other things, dude. I'll do one last one. This is going to be a 30-second one max. This is probably one of the biggest deals. If you're banging your head against the wall trying to find your passion and purpose, quit doing it. Okay? I put so much pressure on myself over those years to try to find my passion and purpose, uh, almost to the point where I would, like, make up a purpose and see if it was right. But it never really hit me at my core. And during the same time period where I, where I cut ties from everything, all the business stuff behind me so I could free up the mind space, took care of the little things so the big things could now materialize and I could focus on the little things weren't getting in the way. Then I'm like, you know what? I've been banging my head against the wall trying to find my purpose in life and my passion. And I'm just going to quit doing that. I'm like going to give myself permission this year to not think about my purpose at all. My only purpose this year, and this was in 2012, my only purpose this year is to, to look back at the end of this year and say, and say with confidence that I did the best that I could do at everything that I had control of in, in my life that year. From the, the little things to the big things. Cause I'd never taken a business as far as I could because I got distracted by 14 other things. I'd never, you know, taken care of the little things. So all these things stacked up mentally and physically that just detracted uh, from all the big stuff. And dude, that made a massive difference for me. I, I gave myself permission to stop looking for my purpose and my purpose found me during that year. So 
I mean, it's just, uh, I could talk for hours on the subject, as you can tell. Um, but uh, that's what I had to do. I love that, man. That's fantastic stuff, brother. Any parting things you'd like to give to the Alliance before we get off the interview today? Dude, I, I, I think the biggest thing, and there's, there's a couple little things. Number one, you know, keep listening to, to podcasts like this with Greg. Um, because we need to always kind of have that continual flow of amazing, empowering things in your brain. There's so much negativity out there. Uh, so keep doing this. Have that daily dose of awesomeness, as we call it here at Carrot, uh, in your brain to flood out all the crap that you see on Facebook and in the news, maybe even with your friends and family that are negative. Uh, keep that there. That's going to be hugely important. Um, the second thing is with your business, whatever type of real estate you're going to do, or let's say you're a plumber, you know, whatever it is, uh, be crazy intentional what you're building. And I'm not just talking about the income stream because if you hit a, a revenue number that mentally you're saying, man, once I get there, it's set, but you don't have your mindset down right. You don't have your five non-negotiables or however many non-negotiables set up. Um, you don't have core values. You don't have like this, this foundation. You're going to get to that dollar number and you're going to be miserable. So just make sure you're very, very intentional why you're, set, why you're setting up your business, exactly how it should look. What, what things that you truly enjoy that you're amazing at that you should be spending the majority of your time as you go and grow with that business and just build a business that's fun. Build a business that's fun, that's intentional, that makes you good money, that serves you, that doesn't require you, you to serve it all the time. Love it. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much for coming on today. You gave some amazing information. Thank you so much, Trevor. Awesome, buddy. I appreciate the invite, Greg. And uh, uh, guys and gals, hit me up anytime if uh, I can help you with anything. Thanks. Beautiful. Thanks, Trevor. Thank you. You've just listened to another flipping real estate like the pros podcast. You're another step closer to fulfilling your dreams as a successful real estate entrepreneur. We'd like to thank you for putting your trust in us to be your guide into this exciting venture called real estate investing. For more information, visit our website at www.flippingrealestatelikethepros.com. Catch you on the flip side, Alliance.